Now, we serve a blessed Redeemer, and He helps us in all our need. And this morning, as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, He is helping us, He is teaching us, and He is bringing us to appreciate His best in us and what is best for our lives. And so, we're talking about God's best when we talk about giving in all of its different aspects, giving of your time, your resources, your talent, as well as your money. And when Paul writes 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he's, he has a concern on his heart. He's concerned about the poor Christians in Jerusalem who are starving to death, we expect, who are that close to death in their poverty. And he is receiving this offering for those in desperate need from the famine there in Jerusalem. And he's receiving it in a part of the world that is Gentile. So he is making a pitch to the Gentiles these largely Gentile churches, to give to the Jews in their need. And there has been, if there is a long-standing animosity in the ancient world, it is between the Jew and the Gentile. And Paul promises in his letter to Ephesus that Jesus came to break down that wall. And part of the breaking down of that wall is receiving this offering. It is a powerful input into the lives of those Jewish believers, and it brings down the wall of prejudice and separation as they give to those in need. And the same is true today. So we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, a wonderful epistle of the Apostle Paul. I'm in verse 8 this morning, where he says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And he has just done that. He's just talked about the gift of the Macedonian churches and how they gave beyond their means this generous gift to the struggling saints in Jerusalem. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is his grace now. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. I guess they might have been worried about the size of their gift, like sometimes we do. Verse 13, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that they, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little 
did not have too little. A teaching on giving out of the word of God. What is best for you in this matter? Now, God seeks your best, brother, sister. He's looking for the highest good for you. And we ought to see all of our giving in that light, pursuing God's best and God's highest in all that we do. Paul is telling them the best thing for you to do is finish what you started. Complete what you began. Say, that's sometimes tough to do. I think finishing is harder than starting. The saints, New Orleans saints, had the slogan, finish strong, and they did. And it was an inspiring slogan. It is so difficult sometimes to carry through on what you promise and what you intend and even what you begin. The real test of your earnestness, your sincerity, your desire, your motives, and your intentions is how you finish. Hey, that ought to be good news, all right? Because we're not done yet, amen? We're not done yet. Some of us are discouraged about our performance as believers, but say, sister, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. You hadn't finished your course. This is good news about a strong finish. A strong finish can amend for many a weak beginning and a stuttering middle. A strong finish. And the Apostle Paul is challenging them, finish strong. Finish what you began. It may take everything you've got may feel like your legs are lead and your heart's about to beat out of your chest and you can't go any further but the finish is the most important part of the race so finish what you started how do you do that in this matter of giving in the Christian life giving who you are and what you have well the first thing I see here is be worshiping Everybody needs to be worshiping. Everybody in the room now, you need to be worshiping, okay? Don't be doing something else. This is the house of worship and the time of worship. And we all need to be engaged with what the Spirit is speaking to us. Engaged in prayer, intention, in our mind. Be worshiping. Paul talks about how Jesus, though he was rich, for our sake became poor so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. See, Jesus is the supreme example of giving in the Bible. There's nothing that transcends it or even comes close. The giving which he did in his life and in his death, the humbling, the stature which he gave up and laid aside so that he might live on this planet. Think about what Jesus did, Paul is saying. In this matter of finishing your course and completing what you began, think about what Jesus did. Be worshiping 
as you contemplate the giving of yourself, your talent, your time, as well as your money. Be worshiping. It ought to be always an act of worship. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus, though he had this place in heaven, did not consider it something to grasp, something to hold on to, but he humbled himself, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself even further and became obedient unto what? Unto death. Even, not just an average ordinary death, even death on a cross. This is the process of giving that the Son of God demonstrated in His love for us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world He gave His one and only Son. God the Father gave His Son, but the Son also gave. And that's what Paul is referring to here, the giving of the Son. So we worship as we give. Brothers and sisters, let's not separate giving from worship. You may be doing a bank draft, but you need to connect your giving to your worship, all right? There needs to be a hard wire between how you love your Lord and how you give in your talent and your money. I had a man once who challenged me on this matter of tithing, and he was very angry and, and bitter in his spirit, and he had been a difficult man for me to deal with in my church. And at one point, he just bowed up his back and he said, Pastor, if I give my tithe, won't God be pleased with me? And he said it in an angry way. Won't God be pleased with me if I tithe? And I suspected then that he was seeking to secure the favor of God through his gift which is backwards from what the Apostle Paul is saying here. We are not seeking to secure the favor of God with our gift. We are giving in response to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was rich and for our sakes became poor. It is a response to the grace of God that prompts our giving. And we cannot buy or purchase God's favor with our money or our time or resources or anything else. God's favor, in fact, is freely given. That's the nature of grace. And what God desires is the free response of our heart to all that he has done. God wants us to give in response to his giving out of love for him make it an act of worship. Let me insert here, brothers and sisters, that giving was always in the Scripture tied to the house of worship and the church of Jesus Christ. You say, how are these Corinthians collecting their offering? They're gathering in worship on the first day of the week, and they're giving as they gather in worship. They're giving in the church as they gather as a body of believers. Now, the Old Testament teaches that you're to bring all the tithe, where? Into the storehouse. That's Malachi 3.10. It's often quoted. Well, what's the storehouse? People have debated. What is the storehouse? Where do you bring your tithe? You're giving, you bring it to the storehouse, but there was no question for Malachi or the people to whom he wrote that the storehouse was the house of worship. It was the temple that their tithe sustained the house of worship and the ministry unto God. 
And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, maybe you've never heard this before, your tithe belongs in your house of worship, all right? It's not tithing if you're buying Christian books for your neighbors. I mean, those are good things to do. That's not a tithe that you give to the United Way. Your tithe preaches the gospel. Your tithe declares the gospel. Your tithe teaches the scriptures. Your tithe sends missionaries around the world to the lost peoples of the earth so that they might know Jesus. Your tithe sustains the work of ministry in your own local community through your church. We are the body of believers. We are brothers and sisters. And we worship in the, in the house of worship. And tithing is part of our worship. Let's not be confused about that. If all the tithes of God's people end up in the coffers of the United Way, who will proclaim the gospel on this planet? Who will tell the good news about Jesus? We are seeking to systematically use all of the tithe of God's people, not only to proclaim and do the gospel here locally, but around the world. That's what we're seeking to do as a congregation. And we bring that plan to you on an annual basis, and we vote on it, and we will do so in October. And we have input from the various aspects of our ministry as we put together that plan. But as best we are able, we are seeking to be people of integrity at First Baptist New Orleans as the brothers and sisters give their tithe, and then we send the gospel forth. You may not realize, but 10% of everything you put in the plate goes to the worldwide causes of the church of Jesus Christ. We don't even keep it here. Another 5% of everything you give is spent outside these walls in direct support of ministries for the poor and the needy, ministries in our own mission trips and things like that. And you have input in that. And we're an open book. We want you to know. And we value your participation. And that is what the Church of Jesus Christ has done through these generations. Now, next week, I'm going to talk about how you honor God when you handle the offering. But today, I want to tell you, tithing is worship. And we worship as we gather together. And the people of God, Old and New Testament, have made that a part of their worship for these generations. That's why they gathered it on the first day of the week. That's why Jesus and the disciples sat down at the temple to see how people were giving. Because they gave at their house of worship. Be worshiping and next be working. The scripture says here now finish the work in verse 11. And what he's saying there is finish the doing. Okay? Finish the making of it. There's something to do now, Corinthians. You started, but you've got something to do. And I want to talk to you about work a little bit because doing is the message of the apostle here. Doing it. Getting the work done. Paul is concerned that they've had a beginning a year ago and they never got to complete it. Do you have any friends who decide to take up tennis or golf and the first thing they do is they go spend $2,000 on golf paraphernalia. You know, I have a friend that does that. And he's gone through different phases in sports. And as soon as he, he decides he's going to do it, I mean, you can go to his closet and he's got the best equipment of anybody. And he's never swung the racket yet. 
And he is likely to be enthused about this for about, you know, two weeks to six months. And then it's over and he's on to something else. He never really gets done with what he started. How many half-finished projects do we have in our homes? Our garages, our workrooms, they're full of things we began and never got done. Frequently guilty of being good beginners, but not good finishers. Paul says to them, you were the first who gave and who had the desire to do so. Now finish what you started. You're not doing anymore. Brothers and sisters, in every area of your life now, persistence wins the race. I want you to elevate the quality of determination and persistence in your mind and your heart. Paul says at one place, as he is talking to the Corinthians, he says, I'm not shadow boxing. I'm not running around in circles. I bring my body into subjection and make it my slave so that I can accomplish what God has given me to do. That's persistence. You can almost see his jaw muscles swell as he writes it out. It takes persistence to complete. I have some students I know that are here in this room. Do you know how many PhD students, I have been told it and I haven't verified it, but I suspect it's true, complete all their classwork and never get their dissertation done? Three years, some of them, going to classes, finishing the language requirements, and never finish the, doctor, the dissertation. I understand it's 25%, one out of four, never get it done. Every time I see Inman Houston, I said, have you got that thing done? He's working on it. I don't know if he wants to see me anymore. I'm after him to get it done. You've got to complete what you started. Persistence. You can't win without it. Determination, something is going to cause resistance to what you have determined in your heart to do. You are going to face opposition. There are going to be distractions. I don't know what happened at Corinth. Something happened. They started out. They started giving the offering. They started to plan. They had an eager desire to do so. And all of a sudden, maybe they had a church fight. They were famous for that. They had all kinds of divisions in their church. Maybe that's what distracted them. Maybe somebody got upset with the Apostle Paul and said he's going to spend the money on himself. I don't know what happened, but something happened. Some distraction occurred, and now it is suspended, and they haven't completed what they began. God calls you to something. You mark it down. It's going to take determination for you to carry it to completion. Some of you know that sitting here right now how fired up you were at one time about something you knew God wanted you to do. And it's not done yet. It's not done. You got distracted, resistance came, your life changed, circumstances changed, things happened, and we never brought to completion the very conviction God gave us even years ago. Part of following Jesus is W-O-R-K. 
part of it's just work. It's putting one foot in front of the other. It's getting dressed on in Sunday morning even when you don't feel like it. Amen? It's saying, I'm going to prepare that dish and take it to that family that is in need. And I'm going to do it even though I'm busy. I'm going to get it done. We have busy people who help us with care effect every week. And sometimes you don't know what's happening. You give that time, you get down here early, you take off work perhaps, you gather with the team, you pray, you drive all the way to the West Bank, you go into those pods, you teach those young people the scriptures, and you, you've been doing it now for a year. And Sharona Alexis, she's been at the point on that, I don't know if Sharona's in here or not, but I've been there several times with them. Dear First Baptist Church, this is from a boy in Pod B. I was writing y'all to thank you for coming every Wednesday night and speaking the Word of God to us. Every time you come, you lighten up my day and make me feel good. The rest of the pod and I really need it. More and more, my life is completely changing around. And I thank you very much for that. I keep you all in my prayers. And I love you, brothers and sisters. That's from a young teen that most of us will never meet. Who writes to our church because of a faithful group of teachers. Who take time to go every single Wednesday night. And just like you, they are busy people. And just like you, they could spend their time doing other things. But they choose to make this a commitment. And God changes the lives of young people through them. And it is just one illustration of many that the work of God is still spelled W-O-R-K and it takes putting one foot in front of the other. Be working, the apostle says here. Let's complete what we start. Let's finish this work. Let's get after it and do it. And then he says, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do so may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Be worshiping in your giving. Be working. Be willing. I don't know about this willingness now. The more I read this, the more it strikes me. Verse 8 says, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. The Apostle Paul is saying, you've got a willingness of heart. And that willingness of heart is an important dimension of God's work in you. He says there's a lot about sincerity that you learn from giving. Lots of people can talk a good game, but they, do they produce 
on their words. Lots of people know religious language. But are they producing on what they say they ought to do? I wonder if God checks our pulse by checking our purse. There are lots of places, not only here, but other places in the Bible where the Scripture indicates you can know a man's heart by what he's doing with his money. That how you handle your money is a window to your soul. Sometimes we want to make a great divide between the spiritual things and the financial things. And Jesus in Scripture says, it's not there. There's not this huge canyon between your wallet and your Bible. They're tied together like everything else in your life. If Jesus is not Lord of all, somebody said, he's not Lord at all. And maybe your finances and your wallet and your bank account and your assets and resources, that's the part of you that you sealed off. And you said, no matter what happens here, it's not going there. Paul says here, it's a test of sincerity. And sincerity is about single-mindedness. It's about motives. That God tests our motives in our giving, that that reveals our actual motives. And then he talks about the earnestness of others in their giving. And that earnestness reveals our intentions. So giving is like opening up your heart in a way. And as we look at our finances, we're really discovering a lot about our spirit, our soul, the inner you, the real you, the things that really matter, that are very important to you. They're opened up in the way we spend our money. Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. That'd be like passing the offering today and getting three Snicker bars and a package of bubble gum. And it gets up there, and the boys react just like you and I would have if we got that kind of offering. What? What are we going to do with that? Jesus says, what do you got? They say, well, five loaves and two fish, but what's that? What's that? We got three Snicker bars and a, and a package of bubble gum. That's all we got. And Jesus says, well, have the people sit down and we'll divide it up. I love Jesus, don't you? I mean, he pushes your buttons, doesn't he? He, he says, you feed them. And they get in the offering and it's this little boy's lunch. Now, here's the thing. The little boy was willing to give what he had. That's why Paul says here, the gift is judged not according to what you don't have, but according to what you have. You know, you give within your means. And that's all the little boy had, and that's what he gave. And whatever you've got, Jesus is going to use it powerfully for his glory. And the little boy's lunch fed 5,000 people that day. And that's what God's going to do with your gift. It's the willingness that matters. That's what tells the heart. That's what's going on in here. It's not the size of the gift, but the size of your heart. Be willing. 
Be worshiping. Be working. And be wise. Some folks think they're an island. They'll never have a need. They don't need anything from anybody else. Why should anybody else need anything from them? I'm not giving my hard-earned money so that person can make it through a difficult time. Paul says here, look, your plenty is going to supply their need. One of these days, their plenty will supply your need. There's going to be equity. It may be that you won't have a need financially, but you'll have some other kind of need. And the brothers and sisters in the body of the Christ, they're going to, they're going to come and help. They're going to supply the need. As we do what God calls us to do, he blesses us through the body. Be wise. Men, listen to me. Business is important. We've got some entrepreneurs in the room. I'm glad you're here. It's important for you to work hard and go out and make money. If everybody in the church quit making money tomorrow, we'd have to shut down the doors, right? Work is a blessing. It's not part of the curse. God told Adam and Eve to tend the garden even before they sinned. They had a garden to take care of. It's a good thing for you to profit and to grow your business. There's nothing in the Bible against the accumulation of wealth and the development of your business. Many of the people who are faithful to God in the scriptures are people who had lots of money. So I don't want you to think, hey, to be faithful to God, i got to quit building this shop. I can't open another branch. I can't expand anymore. That would be against, no. No. Part of the idea of the tithe is that you preserve capital in that 90% to continue to expand and do well. And part of the teaching of Proverbs in the Old Testament is, you know harvest time is coming. So at seed time, you plant your seed. And it's a lazy man who doesn't care for his family by planting in seed time so he has a harvest. And Paul says in one place, if you're not caring for the needs of your family and you're sitting on your hands and you're not working out there, you're worse than an infidel. The church of Jesus Christ ought always to be busy. We need to be at hard at work doing what God has called us to do. It is a noble thing to be engaged in the enterprises in our community that bring resources to people, okay? Be wise. Live within your means. Some of us wish that we could tithe, but we're so far in debt we can't pay the electric bill. We've ended up owing so much, we owe more than we make every month. That's unwise. As brothers and sisters in the body, 
The Apostle Paul writes and he says, look, let him who was stealing steal no more. Rather, let him work with his hands. Why? So he can have something to give people who are in need. That's why. We feel the most humiliated about our overbearing debt when somebody needs us and we can't help them because we're so strapped by foolish decisions. There are people in the body, even here and around the country, that are downsizing their lifestyle so they can give as God commanded. They have too many cars, too big of a house. They've gone too far in debt, and what they need to do is squeeze that down, and they would sleep a lot better. They'd have more peace of mind and soul if they got out from under the burden that they're bearing. And then when a brother was in need, they could joyfully give. When Paul begins to talk about wisdom, we need to be wise about our money. Paul says, look, Corinthians, the Jerusalem saints are in need now. One day you're going to be in need. And there'll be brothers and sisters there to help you. I had an aunt who thought she was an island. She didn't need anybody. Her name was Aunt Hazel. She moved off early. She started building her businesses. Pretty soon, she owned seven apartment buildings outside of the University of Pittsburgh. She retired at 60 with plenty of money. She bought her a great big motor home. She started touring around the country. She had a Florida tan year-round. And then she got sick. Too early. It felt to everybody. And she had trouble finding a friend in the world to help her. You know where she ended up? On my parents' doorstep. She lived with her younger sister, my mother and father, for the last years of her life. And during the last months of her life, she trusted Christ as Savior and gave herself fully to the Father and finally got some peace in a very troubled life. You can't do this by yourself. You're not intended to do this by yourself. The church of Jesus Christ is intended to be that extended family for all of us that we help each other as we have needs and we comfort one another. And when the trouble comes, we are there. And thank God for the Bible study ministries and the Sunday school classes and the teachers who realize that in those chairs sit people with hurts and needs and we care for one another as we walk together in this journey of the Christian life. And giving is the discipline of systematically, regularly, and faithfully caring for the house of worship and the needs of the body as we serve Christ together. 
Let's bow together. Now, you may have a very private affair with God to take care of today, and that's fine. That's right. If God has convicted you, it's not my intention to send you out with a guilt trip. I want you to know the forgiveness of Christ, that he loves to forgive. And if you have erred and feel the need to be clean, then receive his forgiveness and order your steps according to his word. Maybe God has convicted you about something that you need to do publicly. Trusting Christ as Savior. Right where you are, receiving Christ. Confessing your sin. Asking Him to forgive you. And to come into your life. Making Him Lord of everything. In just a moment, our prayer counselors will be ready to receive. And you come and say, I'm trusting Christ today as Savior. Maybe you need a church home. You've been a long time without being really connected to the family of faith. And you know God's calling you back. This would be a great time to step out and say, Lord, here I am. I've wandered a long way, but I'm, I'm coming back home. Tell one of the counselors, I want to become part of this family and recommit my life to the things that really matter and are truly significant. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with. That's what our prayer counselors will be here for. Lord, do your work in us. Forgive us where we have erred, but help us to live in the joy of forgiveness. Thank you that you bury our sin in the sea of your forgetfulness. Lord, it's so good to remember that. Thank you, God, that you care about the finish. And even if we've had poor starts, Oh, if we've sat down a while on the sidelines, to God, we can still finish strong. Lord, help us to do so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.